I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. When I go out in the morning and I open up the nest box, it's like it's like Christmas <laughs> every day. I mean, that's that's the routine. You go out, give them the water, make sure they have good food. Mm-hmm. I bring out vegetables, <clears throat> leftovers from cooking. Mm-hmm. They go through that. You know, those uh, little uh, kind of worn pieces of lettuce, the ends of the sure. celery, the yep. ends of, of uh, the carrots with the greens still on. Mm-hmm. That these chickens, th- this is like uh, candy for them, <laughs> and they absolutely love it. They scratch through it. I've got good foragers. And so every morning has this wonderful routine now, but it's new for us. I mean, mm-hmm. Dave and I are new chicken keepers. Right. Uh, our flock was up to about 45 over the course of the summer. Mm-hmm. We did have predator problems. Oh, yeah. And uh, we are now dealing with our first winter, which brings with it all of these wonderful opportunities and challenges because we are new. And there are loads and loads of wonderful books out there. But I'll tell you, one of the best things that happened to me recently was coming across a blog called Fresh Eggs Daily. Really? It is a marvelous compendium of information and conversation and terrific advice Hmm. and beautiful photos Mm -hmm. about how to raise your backyard flock or if you've got a bigger, you know, grouping Mm -hmm. of birds naturally. And we are lucky to have with us this morning the uh, keeper of that blog and the author of the book by the same name, Lisa Steele. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Good morning, Sylvia. Oh, it's so! I'm so you glad know, that you're on the line. Well, you know, it was interesting listening to you because your routine sounds remarkably like mine. Ah. The, the kitchen leftovers and the new water in the morning, and then I saved checking for eggs for last. Right. So it, it, it's exactly my routine, and it's very exciting to find each and every egg, even all these years later. <laughs> I get so excited. <laughs> Isn't it fun? I know. When, when, we, when this, the hens first started laying and I found that first egg, you know, I felt like, like running into the house and calling my husband and saying, <laughs> hey, we've got eggs, you know, which is a kind of, well, you know, you do get excited because this is really part of being able to be self-sustaining, isn't it? It is. It's a huge part. And I think for a lot of people, it's their first step, maybe after a vegetable garden, their first kind of jump into keeping livestock, making more of a homestead. Oftentimes it's chickens because they're relatively inexpensive, they're small, they're easy. Right. And you do get the eggs, which is a nice little, you know, you don't have to kill your animal after you've raised it. If you don't want to, you can still have the benefit and still have the animal at the end of it. Right, right. Well, you know, Lisa, let's let's start uh, a little bit by introducing your background because, again, you have this marvelous blog and terrific book um, that's that's available that was published uh, last year, I believe. And yes. And you've been, uh, you're a fifth-generation chicken keeper, but 
you're you just started raising your own flock in 2009. Can you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. I I grew up across the street in Massachusetts from my grandparents' chicken farm. Honest to goodness, that's what they did for a living. They supported their family selling the meat and eggs to restaurants. And then uh, my parents got married and moved across the street. I didn't pay a lot of attention to them, honestly. It was it was just a way of life. You know, we had chickens. My grandparents had chickens. A couple neighbors had chickens. So I went to college and moved away and moved to New York and worked on Wall Street and thought I was done with the whole farm thing. And then, long story short, met my husband. We got married. He was in the Navy. And he retired and had horses. And we moved out to the country here in Virginia. And guess what? We have chickens. And... I'm living the country life again. Isn't it something how it becomes full circle like that? Well, you know, your blog um, is is really uh, captivating. You know, I'll, I'll be real honest about you because the, the photos are so beautiful. You, you take terrific shots of both chickens and the environment there. And because you focus on trying to do things naturally. Now, in addition to being a chicken keeper, you're also a certified herbalist. So why this approach to do things naturally? Well, when we first started raising the chickens, although I had grown up with them, I didn't really pay much attention to what was going on. You know, we used to collect the eggs, and as a child, you're not as involved in their care. So I started reading books and, and magazines, and they all just seemed to kind of say, Feed your chickens, give them water, and then when they get sick, either bring them to the vet, give them antibiotics, or kill them. And mm-hmm. that wasn't really speaking to me. I, I thought there was a piece missing. Mm-hmm. So the same way with our own health, you know, I don't just wait till I'm sick and then go to the doctor. I take echinacea, and, you know, I eat a lot of um, honey and add lemon to tea and eat garlic and do all those things to kind of keep strong immune systems. So there was a little bit out there, not really a lot, not really a lot of studies, but enough that I felt that there was a way to raise chickens the same way. Mm-hmm. So I started really incorporating lots of the herbs that I, I was already growing herbs because I cook with them and, and enjoy using them like that. And I just kind of started using them with the chickens and I noticed our chickens were healthier. They were laying more eggs. They never get sick. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go in these forums these chicken forums and chickens would have these horrible contagious respiratory diseases and they'd be wheezing and coughing and dying. And and I'm thinking my chickens don't get sick. I mean, I think that all this natural stuff, it came from somewhere. Our grandparents were not running to the feed store, you know, to buy something off the shelf when their chickens sneezed. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went back to that and, because there wasn't a lot that really was in one place, when I started blogging about it, people really, really started to listen and appreciate it. And that's why the book came about, to kind of put it in one nice, concise place. And I admit, I I refer to my book a lot, too, because there is a lot of information in here. Well, there certainly Um, is. There certainly is. In fact, when I went to your blog just this week, um, because I had a problem. I've got a chicken that has kind of a dirtier rear end, which is something you don't necessarily want to see. So I went to your site and noticed that you had a number of, of approaches. And I've adopted a couple. So the, the chickens are now getting um, uh, raw apple cider vinegar in their water. And I'm using probiotics 
on in their feed. You know, just just doing it naturally and watching the chicken. She remains healthy and active and vigorous and and uh, and and it has a good appetite. So right. uh, I'll continue doing that for a few days and see how things progress. But I'm feeling very encouraged by that kind of approach with our chickens as well as with our our, our beef cattle. And of course, our chickens are ranged are free ranged. So over the course of the summer, they are su- stupendously healthy. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're scratching through manure piles and eating larvae and insects, and I've seen them go after frogs. Um, and they are, you know, obviously uh, pecking at the various herbs and grasses that are there. So I just was terrifically encouraged by your blog, which, you know, people might want to know was, was uh, named one of the top 10 garden blogs by um, Better Homes and Garden magazine for 2014. So congratulations on that. Thank you. That was a huge honor. It was a huge surprise because I don't consider myself a garden blogger per se, but I do talk a lot about growing things and, and how to use them. And so that, that was kind of neat that they noticed number one, and then awarded me as one of the top 10. Well, I, I can see, well, it's really well-deserved. There's so much information and it's so well-organized on the blog. You know, and that blog, uh, to give you the address, it's www.fresheggsdaily.com in case people want to get there sooner than later as we continue our conversation with Lisa Steele, who wrote the book and has the blog called Fresh Eggs Daily. Lisa, you know, we're in the middle of winter. I feel like we're in the middle of winter because it started a month ago here in in the upper Midwest. (laughs) We've been living with (laughs) snow and ice forever, it feels. How does... How does winter affect chickens? I mean, are there any special things we should be doing? Well, truly, they're more comfortable in the cold than the heat. Mm. Heat is a far more difficult thing with most animals. I'm sure you know with your cattle also. Mm-hmm. It's hard for animals to cool down. So they, they do have a harder time in the summer keeping cool. But in the winter, you know, down to 40 degrees or so, chickens are perfectly comfortable and happy. Below that, they might get a little cold. You might notice at night when they go to roost, they'll fluff their feathers up. Mm-hmm. They trap the warm air between the feathers and their bodies to keep warm at night. Mm-hmm. So I can always tell if a cold night is predicted because I'll go down to lock up the coop. And all my chickens will look like pufferfish, you know, because they're just big, puffy balls of feathers. Right. Right. But, but if you, as long as your coop is dry and draft-free, most likely they're going to be fine. They're not going to need heat. Right. And in, just fine. Yes. Well, as you know, we're up here in Wisconsin. Uh, that's what we're that's we're in Avery, Wisconsin. That's where our, our uh, studios are located and where our farm is. And it gets down to 20 below throughout this throughout the winter at night. Um, but I know lots of people who keep chickens. And as long as that coop, as you say, as, as you recommend, as long as it's not drafty and you keep the litter deep, the shavings really deep on the bottom of your chicken yeah. coop, you tend to be okay. But but one of the things I will say is you've got to get out there early to collect the eggs. Otherwise, they'll they'll freeze and crack. Yeah, they will. They will. I, I You know, I've had curtains on my nesting boxes for years, and certain chicken keepers tease me about it, mostly the male chicken keepers, because they just think it's kind of frilly and that. But I honestly think the curtains help keep the boxes warmer Mm. And help keep your eggs from freezing a little bit. Because once the hen leaves, it'll kind of keep her body heated a little bit longer. Uh, but you're right. At, at certain temperatures, your, your eggs 
might freeze if they're left out for too long. Right. Yeah, they get awfully cold, but what I try to do is bring them in before they can have an opportunity to crack. So, so, right. so far, so far, right. so good. So far, so good. So is there anything that, that we need to do as far as feed goes for the winter? Any changes there? Well, as you had mentioned, in the summer, your chicken's free-range. So a lot of their diet, in addition to their feed, is weeds and grasses and garden veg, you know, leftovers and kitchen leftovers and that. And in the winter, they don't have that forage. So you can sprout for them. I sprout mung beans and wheat berries and all kinds of things for them. You can also kind of do a fodder, which is basically sprouts, you know, gone wild, and let them kind of grow into... Mm-hmm. little dishes of, of um, you know, short grass and give that to them to peck on. Hmm. I give mine also more cracked corn in the winter, more oats, things, kind of high-carb things that are going to keep their energy levels up. Not too long ago, you couldn't have a chicken in most cities. And many of those ordinances are falling as uh, citizens are saying, you know, I want to keep my backyard flock. Have you seen a lot of interest from people who are uh, in cities and trying to establish a small flock of their own? Yes. Lots lots of people really want to keep them, and maybe right across the line their neighbors can keep them, but they can't. So I think a lot of people are going to their town halls and saying, Tell me why. Tell me why I can't. And here are the reasons why I think I should be able to. And a lot of the towns really are considering it. And some are even doing it on maybe like a, a year basis, kind of a trial to see how it works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, then making it permanent after that. Right. So if you're listening uh, to Deep Roots Radio and you don't know whether or not you can keep a flock, I think it's a matter of just calling up your city city hall and asking, well, what's the ordinance in? Is there an opportunity to petition for a change? Because lots of these cities are, are really saying, hey, we need to do this. People are demanding it, and it's a good idea to bring people closer to their food source. You know, um, I started out with, with meat chickens, Lisa. And we that was our that was our intent to have meat chickens, and then um, I added a week later some of the laying hens. Um, if somebody out there is thinking of starting a small backyard flock, are there any breeds that are kind of better for them to think about? Well, I think I, as I was listening to you in the intro, the buff Orpington is a great breed. They're hardy. They're a little bit larger. They're super friendly. So if you have kids especially, you know, Mm. they're the kind of chicken that your kids are going to be able to pick up and carry around. And some of the breeds tend to be a little bit skittish. Mm -hmm. But buffs are wonderful. And then their sort of sister, the Australorp, Mm -hmm. the Australian Black Orpington, those those are one of my favorite breeds. I have a a few of those. And they're just wonderful chickens. But, But really any breed, you know, as you had mentioned, even meat chickens do lay eggs. Right. So really any breed, depending on whether you want cold hardy breeds or some that are more heat tolerant, if you want colored eggs, if you want friendly chickens. I mean, there's, there's so many different criteria depending on your family and what your focus is. And you certainly can raise buff orphans and eat them. I mean, most breeds are dual purpose. Where should people go to buy their first clutch of chicks? Well, I mean, you can go to your local feed store 
if you're you're in an area where chickens are sort of popular and your feed stores in the spring should have them and the benefit of that is they generally have breeds that are good for your area mm. so if you're not sure and and some of the breeds the, the fancier breeds with the feathered feet or the the top knots can be a little difficult for a first timer so the feed store will have a nice basic selection of starter breeds i guess i'd say or you could use uh like a meyer hatchery out of ohio my Pet Chicken in Connecticut, they'll let you order just a few and you can mix and match breeds. And they have wonderful websites where they have a picture of the, the what the chicken will look like, the color of her eggs, a little bit about the breeds. So you can do a lot of research. Like now is the time of year where you should be getting the catalogs and looking at the websites and, and really looking at the different breeds to see what might appeal to you. Right, right. You know, that's kind of fun that you say that uh, looking at their catalogs because right now so many of us who garden are getting ready to get those that flood of, of these nice, beautiful, right. colorful uh, catalogs. And the chicken catalogs, to be honest, are just as beautiful because the plumage of the birds is just fantastic. So if you go online and you Google chicks or hatchery, uh, you're going to come up with lots of sure. different companies, and you can go online, take a look at what they offer, but also order their catalogs so you can kind of thumb through them and dream through them and kind of decide what you might like. You know, if you're thinking about getting chicks for this spring, Lisa, what kinds of preparations should someone make in the, as, you know, thinking about housing or thinking about what do you do with when new chicks arrive? Well, that's a good point, and that's another reason to wait till spring because every fall I'll have people who just kind of get the bug and decide to jump in, and all of a sudden they've got eight-week-old chicks in their laundry room, mud room, bathtub. Oh. You know, the chicks are growing. It's too cold to put them outside. What do they do now? The husband doesn't want them in the house anymore. So if you start in the spring and you get your chicks and you put them in a plastic tote or a cardboard box or you set up some kind of brooder for them with heat, by the time they're six or eight weeks old and getting a little bit too big for a cardboard box, it's going to be warm enough to put them outside. So you've got a little lead time from the time you get the chicks till the time they go outside to figure out your coop, whether you're going to build one, buy one, check Craigslist. People have found beautiful coops or sheds or playhouses mm-hmm. and converted them into coops pretty easily for not a lot of money. So, I mean, if your budget is, is zero and you've got some wood laying around in your handy, you can build a coop. If your budget is $3,000, you can also find a coop in that price range. So it's all over the place, and, and again, very particular to your family's needs and wants. That first tip that you provided, which was um, make sure you're getting your chicks as the weather is predicted to get warmer, because you're yes. going to, there's going to be a period of several weeks, and we're talking five, six, seven weeks, where those chicks have to be kept in a really warm environment and protected, of course, from predators. They're going to be inside somewhere, and whether it's a warm garage or, as you said, in somebody's bathtub, and you've got to have the time in order to have those chicks you know, get to six, eight weeks and then move them to the outdoors at a time when it's not going to be too cold or wet for them. Right, because you don't want heat. Um, I mean, you could brood them outside with a heat lamp, but then that's a whole other set of issues. And, you know, if the bulb burns out or if it catches fire, it's just I, I feel more comfortable brooding in the house because you, you just have a closer watch over them. I mean, mm-hmm. they can fall into their water dish. They can tip over their feeder. 
I mean, I've had them get wedged in between the wall of the brooder and the feeder. You know, they're, they're in there 24-7, so if something's going to go wrong, it will. You know, so you really want to have them where you can check on them That's, pretty regularly. It is amazing. You know, that, that first thing that you do, you, so you place your order, and then all of a sudden you get an email, because things are done by email these days, and they say, right. your chicks have been shipped. And I'm, right. I'm like on tenterhooks. Oh, my gosh, my chicks are coming. And then I get this phone call from the local public, uh, the local post office that says, mm-hmm. "We've got your box. Come pick it up right and it's now." Keeping. Your box is keeping at us. <laughs> That's yep. right. And then I drive to the post office and I get this box that is vibrating because there are little feet moving inside of it, and it's peeping and it's peeping. It is so exciting, but you're right, Lisa. You want to have that brooder, that's what that warm environment is called, set up before you bring them home. Right, heat lamp on, water, because you want to give them room temperature water. You don't want to give them cold water. In fact, when I have ordered Dixon through the mail, when I go to the post office, I'll bring a little container of room temperature sugar water. Just put a little bit of sugar into it, and I'll, I open the box at the post office because you want to make sure that they all made it if you have a claim or whatever. But right. I'll take each little one and, and dip their beak into the sugar water and then put them back in the box. Wow. You know, just to give them a little boost of energy for the ride home even because sometimes a matter of minutes or an hour, depending on how long you have to drive to the post office, you know, it, it helps them out to just kind of, Oh, I'm here. I've got some some water. I'm okay. You bet. Thank you. That's a good piece of advice because I know I I placed my first order for next year already and placing a second order uh, today for some more mm-hmm. some more chickens. And so let me ask you your advice. Uh, we've only got 5 minutes left and I've got like a zillion questions going through my head. Um uh-huh. All right. So I've got this little little flock right now of 7 chickens. All right, from this past year. And I am ordering numbers of new little chicks that will arrive in April. How do I integrate the new chicks with the old, older flock so that the older flock doesn't try kill to them. kill the new ones? Yeah, how, how does that work? And they will, and that shocks people. I've heard some really heartbreaking stories people don't realize. You know, I, if they get chicks in the summer, they say, well, it's warm, so I can put them right outside. And they put them right in their run, and the older chickens just kill them. I mean, that's that's just what chickens do. They are so protective of their pecking order yes. that newcomers pose such a threat. So you're getting your chicks in April, so they'll probably be inside till say, mid-June, and they'll be right. six weeks old or eight weeks old or so. So at that point, I would move them outside, and if you can block off part of your run or if you have a small cage or pen inside your run, or you don't have a run, you'll free-range them. Okay. But I can put out in a pen, right? So the free rangers can come and look at them. But the little ones, and they're safe from predators that way too, because they're small. And I would keep them in a pen outside, probably till they're about twelve weeks old. And by then, they should be large enough that they're a little more savvy to predators and and a little um, more protected from them. And then the older hens will be used to them around. And opening the door of the pen and letting everyone roam together shouldn't be a problem. Good advice. Thank you so much because that was that was emerging as a major concern. I, I knew that uh, <laughs> chickens are have a very definite pecking order. This is some people uh, kind of say that oh you know he's he's at the bottom of the pecking order. You know that's a that's a casual saying, but it's the truth in in uh, 
in nature. And it really needs to it be is. taken into take account. It seriously. You bet. It does. It does because, yeah, it can, it can be bad. But where you're adding, I assume you're adding more numbers-wise. I only had three hens at one point, and I added about 16 new chicks, I think. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did it more quickly than I normally would. And the three hens were so overwhelmed by all these little pullets running around all over the place. Everything was fine because they didn't know who to go after first. You know, so... <laughs> So there is safety in numbers. If you've got enough little ones you're asking, you can probably do it a little bit sooner. Okay. I think I've got about 50 coming in. Um, but Oh, yikes. All right. That's... <laughs> we'll see how that works. But I will take some It'll of your chaos. advice. I, I will take some of your advice because I think it's very sound. Well, Lisa, you know, it's it's been just terrific chatting with you, and I'm hoping that we can do this again. Um, if you've only tuned in right now, we've had a wonderful conversation with Lisa Steele, who is a fifth-generation chicken, uh, chicken keeper and the author of Fresh Eggs Daily and uh, of the blog, a very popular blog by that same name. Lisa, could you give us the uh, web address for your blog again? Sure, it's www.fresheggsdaily.com. And I'm on Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter and Google Plus. So if you don't happen to Facebook or whatever, you can pretty much just type Fresh Eggs Daily in anywhere and I'm there. You've got a number of other Facebook pages as well. Uh, I think one called Ducks Eggs Daily and a Farm Girl and Her Chickens. Correct. And these have a combined right. fan base of over 400,000. So, so people, yes, people are finding you and finding the advice, um, and your writing just very engaging. So it's been terrific talking to you, Lisa. I hope that we get a chance to do this again. I would love to do it again. Oh, I enjoyed it. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I hope you have a good winter with your chickens. You as well. And please feel free to contact me if you have any questions. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.